Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sleep Apnea Pathfinders, a weekly podcast for patients, their families, and healthcare providers to share their stories of success and challenges. We are passionate about sleep apnea and its impact on our overall health. Please join your hosts, David and Juanita, as they share their passion on all things sleep apnea. Thanks for sticking around. Here's part B of episode eight. So the in-lab study gives the sleep physician many different types of information. Does that correspond to the number of wires that's hooked up to uh, the patient? Oh, absolutely. So in-lab studies, um, what they're able to record is um, we get the brain waves. So when someone goes in, uh, a sleep tech will start measuring the patient's head and know where to put the electrode placements so we can see the stages of sleep through the night. We're also going to put electrodes around the eyes for eye movement through the night so we can see the um, rapid eye movement. They're going to put electrodes around the jawline to see um, if there is any grinding or clenching through the night. We call that bruxism. Uh, they'll be putting electrodes on the legs, primarily in the shin area, to see if there's any type of uh, leg movements or periodic leg movements through the night. Um, we're going to monitor breathing with a, a flow sensor and therm placed in the patient's nose. They'll have EKG patches in place so we can monitor heart rate and heart rhythm all night and um, a pulse ox probe on the finger so we can monitor the oxygen desaturation. So um, it's a bit more evolved, involved, I should say, than a home study. That sounds like a lot of wires. And I think for patients, that is one of their biggest fears that they're going to be wrapped up <laughs> in all yeah. these wires and it's really going to mess up their sleep. So, you know, how, how do you, what's a, a, a tip for in-lab studies, how to get comfortable? What are some things that you would suggest patients do to get comfortable with all of those wires on them? That's a great question. So um, I would suggest, I would suggest by you know, making sure that your sleep room, that you ask for a certain temperature, that's going to help you make sure you have comfortable sleep clothes that you bring with you. Um, if anyone thinks that they may have difficulty initiating sleep just by not being in their own environment, they can also talk to their provider about possibly um, um, suggesting a sleep aid or prescribing one. And um really kind of just do the best we can. It's certainly not ideal with all the electrodes in place, but at any time through the night, you know, the patients can be seen and heard. So if they need anything, all they have to do is call out and the sleep tech will come in. So that brings up another question. So you're able to listen to us and watch us. Why is that necessary? For an in-lab study, that is correct. Uh, it comes back to a safety issue. Since um, you're in the facility and when people are sleeping, so we're looking for various sleep disorders and people have um, different movements. Some people try to sit up in their sleep or they get too close to the edge. So we need to be mindful of that in the camera. Um, and then, and then if anyone needs anything through the night, they need to be able to call out to us so we can hear them. And then we can talk to them through the intercom system as well. Okay. That's good to know. So what's a good tip to make a home sleep study 
effective? Oh, great question. So um, first things first, wear comfortable clothing. And if you can, after you have your equipment on in place, uh, find the best um, room in the house to sleep in, as long as it's in a bed. Um, ideally, you could sleep alone, but not all of us have that opportunity to do that. Um, but most people will feel comfortable because they are in their own environment. So just stick to your bedtime routine. So be as consistent as possible because that helps you initiate sleep. So are there some advantages to having a home sleep study? Yeah, I guess the biggest advantage would be uh, the comfort of someone's home and then possibly um, being scheduled for the study a little faster than maybe an in-lab study for sure. Okay. Does it give the patient the ability to sleep longer? Because I know the the in-lab studies that I've had, you know, the the wake-up time I think is around 5 a.m. So I guess for a home sleep study, a patient may be able to sleep longer. Yeah, the possibility is definitely there. And it would depend on the kind of units the facility has, but some of them you, you can preset them to start and stop and you can make that um the time frame is as long as someone um can wear it and depending on what their schedule's up against. And then some home units, some people um you can wear it for a few nights to give them um multiple opportunities. So it's not uncommon for home studies to have a minimum of eight hours of record time. Okay. So that's, that's good for patients to understand that they, if they had a restless night or if they were uh, having issues, maybe operating the device that, you know, they might ask their doctor to have it for a second night. Yeah. If they have a home unit that will permit that, absolutely. Okay. Why were home sleep studies developed? What what need was oh. filled by home sleep studies? Okay. Um, I, I don't know the exact answer as to why they were developed. I'm sure. I'm sure it's because the technology was available and it made it more convenient for patients. And uh, we were up against a backlog because sleep labs only have so many beds where if there are sleep units, multiple home units in their possession, then they could have um, do multiple studies a night in addition to what they were doing in the lab. So I think it comes back to convenience and the technology being available. Um, I believe we started doing home studies somewhere around 2009. So we've been at it for a few years now. So how long does a standard sleep study last or how long does a standard sleep study need for a good result? Uh, For the in-lab study? um, We would like to have, if we can get six hours minimum, that would be great. Um, It would, it depends on, it depends on a few things, but ideally six hours minimum. So Juanita, let's say somebody felt like they had a pretty restless night and they were waking up and falling asleep and waking up and, you know, maybe they got about five hours. Would that be enough for a result? Yeah, it would be enough. Um, Even with the disruptions through the night, because when um, at the end of the study, when we score it, uh, we can always calculate the total sleep time 
And then we're also going to see what um, sleep stages someone entered in or did not through the night. Okay. All right. That's good to know. So let's talk about some comfort issues for patients. So there are some sleep labs that look like a hotel room. Can you talk about that mm. uh, aspect of it? Yeah, sleep labs, they, um, they started changing over the years. We didn't, um, we didn't really like the idea that the rooms looked so sterile, like a hospital room, because as we were inviting them in a place to you know, sleep, they weren't being admitted to the hospital. So over time, sleep labs, um, even though the environment reminds you that it's a medical center, they do look a bit more like hotel rooms just for the sake of comfort. When they realize they don't have to sleep in a traditional hospital bed or um, the room doesn't look, um, you know, they're not seeing IV poles or anything like that, that, that certainly helps alleviate some anxieties. I know for me, most of my sleep studies were done in sleep centers that where the rooms did look like hotel rooms, but I've talked to other patients where maybe it was in a hotel or maybe it was in an office park where it was a smaller setting. So it did, it was not, it did not look like a hotel room. It was a little bit more sterile. So just, just, uh, you know, to patients out there, there's a range of different types of sleep centers. Yeah, I've heard those stories too. I think it just depends on the facility. So what can a patient expect for an in-lab experience in terms of the wires and the goop? There's, <laughs> there's all this goop involved. And if anybody's yeah. seen my picture, they know I don't have much hair. So I don't have a problem with the goop, but I've talked to sure. other patients who have a lot of hair and that goop is a big problem. But why, why is that necessary? And then the tape. Yep. Belts and the blankets and the, you know. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so the electrode placement, um, there'll be multiple electrodes on the head. And we are you're gonna use we're gonna prep every site with a mild microderm abrasion. So we're just basically sloughing off the dead skin cells to have good skin contact. But we're gonna use a conductive paste to keep it in place that kind of acts like the glue, but it never gets hard and it's conductive. So we can receive an electrical reading. So that's the benefit to that. Um, and other places where we put like electrodes on the face and legs, um, you know, we'll use some tape, um, to keep those in place through the night. And then if things do slip out of place or they fall off, we'll, um, we'll intervene. We'll go in the room and we'll wake the patient up and um put it back in place if it's um if it's if it's a wire that needs to be replaced immediately sometimes we can let them sleep for a little while so my so my legs move a lot at night and when i do a sleep study i'm always concerned that some of those leads are going to come off yeah that's a possibility and um and they do they do come off um and if that happens like i said we can um we can always go in the room and um you know, put any electrode back in place if that's necessary. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So do you yeah. have any tips for how to get that goop out of your hair? If you have, ah, hair? yes, 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 yes. The conductive paste. Well, it's water soluble. So, um, I always suggest getting the water as hot as you can without burning yourself. It'll start breaking down 
and it depends on you know how much paste in your you have in your hair and how much hair you have um i um i tell people to prepare to wash their hair about twice to get it out but it will it will come out but um it is really sticky so i mean you're not going to rub it in your skin or anything like lotion it doesn't work that way okay good to know good to know so let's move on to the different stages of an entire sleep study. So there are some people who get two sleep studies and some people who only have one sleep study. Can you talk about the circumstances where somebody is going to need two sleep studies? Um, sure. One example would be if a patient had a home sleep study and um, depending on those results, if a patient had primarily like central sleep apnea, um, and once that's confirmed, we would, we would uh, order an in-lab study for that patient. So they would come into the sleep lab for their second study, and they would have a lot more wires put in place, like I described earlier. And we would start the study with um, positive pressure um, and see if that leads to, if we have to go through the cycle of you know CPAP, um, BiPAP, or a different ventilation that's called adaptive servo ventilation to help correct the central sleep apnea. So that would be one example why someone would have two sleep studies. Um, the, and then the other reason why someone would have one sleep study, if um, say again, they had a home sleep study and we noticed, well, we found sleep apnea, but it's obstructive sleep apnea that person could potentially just um, benefit from an auto PAP, which means it's like a CPAP, but we can set a high pressure and a low pressure and see, and then after a few weeks time, we can see what pressure is meeting the patient's needs. So we can adjust that accordingly. And they may not have to have another in lab study or home study. So let me clarify something, Juanita, you, you said CPAP, BiPAP, and APAP. And you said ASV. Yes. So there are four different types of CPAPs? Um, yeah, those would be the most common. And then there's, there's IVAP. That would be one. Depending on the patient's needs, some patients are better candidates for BiPAP, which is a bi-level, a higher pressure with inhalation, a lower pressure with exhalation. Um, and then there's, that would be BiPAP. There'd be CPAP. That's a continuous pressure, whether they inhale or exhale, it's the same pressure. And then there's, um, adaptive servo ventilation and, um, that will adjust the pressure with pressure support. So that's a bit more involved for the central sleep apnea people. And then the auto PAP is like I said, um, we can set a high pressure CPAP and a low pressure and, to find out because the machines are sensitive enough to determine how much pressure someone needs. So we can narrow it down after the patient's been on it for a few weeks. So one question that might help our listeners is how do you know how well I'm doing on my CPAP? Oh yeah. Great question. So um, once someone's on their CPAP and depending on the kind of machine they use, we can always check compliance to make sure that people are using it nightly like they're supposed to, to see how long they're using it, to see if it's eliminating apnea 
um, or potentially see if um, the patient's mask is leaking, if it's not the appropriate type of mask for someone or it's not being uh, put on appropriately. So we can monitor that. And then every, um, you know, six to eight weeks, just to kind of be sure that um, people are continuing to um, stay on track. But we also depend on the patient to reach out to us in the event something isn't working. So we know to step in and make changes if necessary. As a patient, I've experienced some confusion between what's the role of the doctor's office and what's the role of the equipment company who delivers your CPAP? Ah, great question. Durable Medical Equipment Company, DME. DME, correct. So once it's determined, um, when a patient comes back to see the provider for a follow-up to get the results from the sleep study, whether it's an in-lab or home study, um, and PAP therapy is determined, then what will happen? The provider will submit an order to a local DME company. And at that time, the patient can, um, so the order will be submitted, so they'll receive it, so they know to get the equipment ready. And the patient can find out if they can pick it, when they can pick it up, or if it can be delivered to their home. So here's a patient tip for listeners out there. The doctor sends an order to the durable medical equipment company, but there most likely are other DME companies in the area. And the doctor may even give you a list of companies, but with a little research, you can find different companies and select the one that is best suited for your needs, be it that they're closer or they're more responsive. Uh, So if you're having a delay in getting your CPAP machine, maybe another tip is to call the insurance company and see if the holdup is there Uh, because the insurance company might be the one who has not approved that CPAP and you want to talk to a supervisor and ask them, you know, what the holdup is, you have the sleep study results and you want to go ahead and get that CPAP delivered. So these are just a couple patient tips to help you during this process. So Juanita, there are variable costs for CPAPs and I know you can't talk about specifics, but what if a patient is having problems uh, in paying for their CPAP? Um, one avenue they could take is they can approach the um, facility, whether it's um, the, like the sleep clinic to see if they have a, uh, a financial aid program. Um, so they can um, reach out to fill out the information there to see if they qualify for that. That would be available for anyone to ask for. So are those programs more typically available at sleep studies that are are located in hospitals? That's a strong possibility. Okay. So if it's a hospital, they may have an access to a fund that's related to the hospital that may provide for some relief. That's right. That's right. And like I said, it's available for anyone to ask for. Okay, what about if somebody is paying for their CPAP themselves? Oh, yeah, for self-pay, what I would advise um, is if they can get a number to a billing office, and as long as 
they have that number and an appropriate um, ICD-9 code um, to see what the, uh, the rate would be for a self-pay person. That would be the route I would take. Okay. So for those who are concerned about the affordability of the sleep study, they should seek out that financial aid program prior to having the sleep study done. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Ideally that would be, that would be, yes, correct. Um, Cause it may take them a few weeks. I'm not really sure what those programs are up against or what their process is. So if anyone is considering having a sleep study and this is something you may want to entertain, reach out ahead of time if you can. Okay. So let's move on to the sleep study results. And I have a few tips around that. So one of the primary tips is to make sure you get a copy of your sleep study. Make sure you get that report in your hand and read over it so that you understand what it says. Even if they have told you you don't have sleep apnea, make sure you get that report for your records and that you read it. And also, if you have been found to to have sleep apnea, what you want to do is read through it and highlight terms that you don't understand so that when you have your follow-up appointment with your sleep physician, you can ask those questions and you can refer to your sleep study that you have and get the doctor to go back over that information because typically you'll get a phone call that says you have sleep apnea and you'll be contacted by a company to set you up with your CPAP. They may go into your results a little bit, but in my experience, it's very brief. So another question is, under what circumstances should I get another sleep study? Maybe I had one two years ago. Are there any circumstances that I may get a follow-up sleep study? Um. Yeah. The first thing that would come to mind if, um, if someone has experienced um, uh, weight gain or weight loss, th- those would be examples of that. Or if someone has changed insurance companies, that might be necessary because the insurance company may um, require a new one to prove that it's medically necessary if someone's on CPAP. So to recap, part B of episode eight, we talked about why audio and video is recorded during the in-lab study. We talked about the different types of mode, modes of positive pressures with the machines. We covered the DME or the durable medical equipment company role. We gave a tip about financial assistance, getting a copy of your sleep study and highlighting terms. So you're able to ask specific questions at your follow-up appointment. I hope that by discussing these points, it helps bring awareness about what happens during a sleep study. If you'd like to tell us where you are on your sleep apnea path, please email us at sleepapneapathfinders at gmail.com or message us at or message us on Instagram at sleepapneapathfinders. We'd like to remind everyone listening that information shared in this podcast is for informational purposes only. You should not make any changes to prescribed treatment based on information contained in this podcast. And during episode nine, as we come back around to the social impact of sleep apnea, we'll raise the questions. Why are we afraid to be diagnosed with sleep apnea? Is the solution worse than not knowing? And what else is going on?
But we also want to let our listeners know that we have three more episodes after that, and then we're going to take a small break. But during our small break, we're going to continue to post information on our Instagram account at Sleep Apnea Pathfinders. And you can also reach us at sleepapneapathfinders at gmail.com. So we'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye. This has been an episode of Sleep Apnea Pathfinders. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe. Join us again next week for a new episode.